Father, we began with a doxology of praise to our great and glorious God from whom all blessings flow. We ended our time of singing, at least for the time being, with another doxology of praise to you, our great Redeemer. And Lord, if we have, uh, which we will as believers, uh, a billion, billion years to sing of our great Redeemer's praise, we will never exhaust the wonder and the glory of who you are. And so help us now to continue in this time of worship, of celebration for what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Father, I pray for uh, these, your people here at Heritage. I pray for others throughout the land and indeed throughout the world who will sit under the preaching of your word today. I pray that that preaching would be not only accurate but passionate because it is your word. And I pray that people would be responsive as your Holy Spirit brings your word to bear upon our lives. And for those of us who know you, it might be a time of not only adoration, but confession and praise and thanksgiving along with our prayer of supplication. And so we thank you now that we have a chance to look back uh, a long time ago to a group of people, your people, as they got together to dedicate uh, the building of a wall, but more than that, to have a praise service worthy to remember. And so we ask for your help as we consider this, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I do invite you, in case you haven't already done so, turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12. We'll be finishing chapter 12 today. And uh, hopefully in the next several weeks, we will finish the rest of the book. For me personally, this has been a rich, rich study. Looking back into the historical reality and being reminded uh, of some things. This is not just about history. But when we begin to really remember what we were before Christ and what he has done to deliver us to rebuild our own broken walls and to give us an incredible future, deep worship will happen. And so today as we look at this passage, uh, chapter 12, verses 27 through 47, we remember, for those of you who have not been with us, we've been studying through Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. And, and this last part in Nehemiah has been a picture of a revival that broke out. Now, when I say revival, I talked about it several weeks ago. Not just, it was, but not just a revival meeting that many of us who are older we remember those days of the Brush Arbor meetings. We remember the days of revival. But this was a spontaneous heart revival that broke out among the people of God in response. And you have to go all the way back to chapter 8 to get there. We're not going to go back and read any of it. 
but we see that their response to the reading of the law in chapter 9, they recounted the history of God's goodness to them. Even when they had not been faithful, even in spite of their constant rebellion, He had brought them, God had brought them back from their captivity in Babylon. And wonder of wonders had enabled them first to build the temple again, and then the walls and the gates around Jerusalem. Now, this last feat, for some of you this may be shocking, the final building project, the walls around Jerusalem was completed in only 52 days. And after all of the work, and you remember they had their sword in one hand and trowel in the other and enemies all around them, and after completing this work in 52 days, they were ready to celebrate. Now, as always, when we read the Old Testament, we realize that we're also being reminded of New Testament realities. In other words, this is more than just a a picture, a description of a formal ribbon cutting with a band playing. You remember that God has, has already established Jerusalem. It was the place where He lived. Isaiah 62, verse 7, reminds us, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. Now, this is a picture of what we're going to see in chapter 12, the the last of chapter 12. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise on the earth. And that's exactly what is going to happen in the last part of chapter 12. God desired that the Jews, okay, let's look at it like this, not just an ancient nation that happened to live out of which the Messiah came and out of which we have, have come as the church of Jesus Christ, but even back then, God called the Jews to be a distinct and holy nation of priests and prophets and missionaries to the world. Not to be a praise unto themselves, but to point the nations around them to Yahweh and His promised provision of a Redeemer, of a Messiah, of a Savior who would come. And their worship, we're going to see this very vividly, was a part of that process. So, you look at your worship guide, we've got several different movements. We're going to walk through this passage of Scripture, not reading all of it, but but showing some of the Scripture up on the screen, and then hoping you'll go home and read for yourselves, because there is a, a lot of great stuff within this passage of Scripture. First thing that we see. There was, in verses 27 through 30, a celebration of victory. Let me just read verse 27 to you. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places. The Levites had scattered. You're going to find this. In all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness 
with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, with harps, and lyres. And we're going to get at least one more musical instrument thrown in there, trumpets. The Jews had a reason to praise. Let me just stop and ask you this so you can personalize this and not just let it be something that happened a long time ago. The Jews had a reason to praise. Do you? God had done this. There was no mistaking this. So he gets the glory and they got the joy of participating with him. Same thing with us. Whatever has happened in your life spiritually in coming to know God through Jesus Christ, whatever has happened in your family that speaks of spiritual realities, whatever has happened in this church or perhaps in the church that you attend is simply so that God can get the glory and that we can get the joy of being a part of that, of participating with Him. And worship, worship what we have been doing, what we are doing, hopefully what we'll end by doing and we'll do for the rest of the week, both then and now, means giving the proper respect for the author and the creator of the universe and the rebuilder of the temple and the walls. Look at this in Nehemiah 6. We go back and just remind ourselves. So the wall was finished on the 25th day. Now this is chapter 6. We're just now celebrating the dedication in chapter 12. But we're told this. And I love this because we see a picture of, of God. We see a picture of what it speaks to the nations. The wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, their enemies had not ceased to surround them. All of the nations around us were afraid. I love this. They fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Now, from this little four verses of Scripture, verses 27 through 30, again, we just don't have time to read it all, but I, I hope you'll go home and put your notes alongside and then read these uh, different sections and passages of Scripture. But several things just pop out to me, okay? I'm going to share them all under the first heading, a celebration of victory. The first one is this. The object of worship, as it should be, is God. The object of worship always is, the, is God himself. Worship is worth-ship. It's saying that God is worthy of all of our praise. And when we worship... It's not limited just to Sunday morning. But when we worship, we are declaring His worth as they did to the nations around them. Now, I want you to notice something and, and take heart and get an application for yourselves from this. Their basic circumstances had not changed. 
Okay? Their enemies were still around them. They were still a tiny and despised people. But their focus was not upon the enemies or the needs or their weaknesses. Their focus was on God who had accomplished great things through them. And here is what I want you to hear today, and we're going to come back to this. True worship will never be dependent on your circumstances. Sometimes I've heard this sentiment. I understand it. I, I really do. But I've heard people as an encouragement for uh, what's going to happen in church with the singing and the listening to the message. And, and someone will say something like this. Now, I hope that you are going to be able to leave your struggles at the door. Just forget all of that stuff outside. Well, number one, I don't think you really ought to do that. Number two, I really don't think you can. The real key to the heart of worship then, the real key to your worship now, is not that somehow you have left your struggles in the dust behind. They are still there, but you are worshiping our great and glorious God in spite of your struggles. When I was a little boy, and I am dating myself with these songs, I, I just remember going to church. I don't remember a lot of people talking about, maybe they were the different styles of worship, because in the church that I worship, worshiped in when I was growing up, there was really only one style. You took the hymnal, and you opened it, and you sang. And, and people sang. And I, I, I think they, at least I got the impression as a child that they were worshiping. And I remember singing certain songs. I'm sure that they were not theologically Deep? Does anybody remember Climb, Climb Up, Sunshine Mountain? Anybody? Heavenly Breezes Blow? Always did the signs. Climb, Climb Up, Sunshine Mountain, Faces All Aglow. Turn, turn from sin and doubting. Look to God on high. Climb, Climb Up, Sunshine Mountain, you and I. I learned to worship with Climb, Climb Up, Sunshine Mountain. And I don't know that the people in that little missionary Baptist church, Calvary Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, I don't remember seeing all their faces glow. Maybe in the summertime, because we didn't have central heat and air, uh, their faces were glowing. But, but God was the object of their worship. God is the object of your worship. I, I did something that I do from time to time when I'm standing there and when Jonathan and 
group is leading up here, I stop singing and I listen. And Jonathan, I'm so glad that at the very end you dropped out all of the instruments because one of the things that I want to say is it's not the mechanics, it's not the instruments, it's the voices of the people singing praises to God, and that's what I heard a few moments ago. Here's another thing that I see by looking through this. They were led by the Levites and the priests. Now, that's not to say that everyone else didn't join in. If you drop way down to verse 23, I love this verse. We're going to come back to it. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, and the women and the children also joined in. They all were praising, but the men, as I've said the last couple of weeks, the men were leading out in that. Now, the New Testament fulfillment of that is just found that if you are in Christ, then in a sense, not to blur the lines of distinction, but in a sense, this is the great doctrine of the priesthood of the believers, and it doesn't have just to do with how you make decisions. It has to do with worship. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may do what they did, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Their hearts were laser focused. Uh, In fact, if if you just do, I, I like to do this. I like to look through and see if there are any Uh, words, anything that that just, they're repeated, and there are. Singing, like I said a minute ago, singing should take precedence. It's not that musical instruments are not important, and that's why we use them. We don't use lyres and harps. That was a kind of guitar. It wasn't a big harp because they were carrying those things. Cymbals were more, you know, the the timbrel, that, that kind of thing. Maybe not the the percussion it could have been, but they had musical instruments, but the, by far and away, the thing that is mentioned most is singing. Singing is mentioned eight times in this passage of Scripture. Now, let me add something else to this, because this is also something done with the lips as well as with the heart. Thanksgiving is mentioned six times. Rejoicing is mentioned seven times, and musical instruments are mentioned three times. And that's why we can always say, God is always, when we come in here today, it's not a matter of how did this sound and how did that sound and did you like uh, the, the, the way that Jonathan played the piano? I do. And the rest of the players play. I marvel sometimes at how they can put all of that together. But by far, in a way, the most important thing is the lips and the heart. And that's what Isaiah said Because this people, this was a negative, but it leads to the positive. Because this people draws near to me with their mouth, their lips, and honor me with their lips, and their hearts are far away. And and this morning I got the distinct impression that that's not what this congregation is about. It's a heart and it's a mouth or a lip kind of thing. And I'm so glad. By the way, it's interesting that David, in this passage of Scripture, who's been dead now, listen to this, he's been dead for over 500 years. David is mentioned five times in this passage of Scripture because he was 
obviously not only a man who wrote the Psalms and he knew how to worship, but he was also called a man after God's own heart. Now, there is one more thing before we get to point number two, and I think it's important, and we find this in verse 30. Let me just read it for you. You can look at it if you've got your Bible open. And the priests and the Levites, again, these were, were the leaders, the designated male leaders they, uh, of Judah, uh, excuse me, purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. We said this last week, and it reiterates it this week. They knew, and we should know, that there needs to be an appropriate preparation to worship. They purified themselves. They purified the people. They purified the gates and the walls. I looked at it to see what that meant exactly. Could it be that they took some blood of the sacrifice and they sprinkled it on all of these entities? I don't know. But here is what I do know, the application of this for your life. Please hear this. Holiness always needs to come before worship and be a part of it. And that's one of the reasons that from, from the, the study of this, this passage of Scripture and others that preceded it, we have come to a place where we believe that week by week there needs to be some opportunity, either a pause or maybe a prayer or an encouragement from a reading of Scripture where the people of God have the opportunity to confess their sins before God. Purification. You don't need to get saved all over again. You just need to bring to God worship out of a pure heart. And that's why we do that. Now, this is important. Tomorrow morning when you get up, or maybe tonight, whenever you have your quiet time, the old ACT acronym works. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. So even in your quiet time, when you have your family time, those of you who have younger children, whatever your, your family time looks like, ours was on a Thursday night, all the time that the kids were growing up. I, I don't know that I, that I had the kids confess their sins. I certainly could have because there were enough to go around in our family, and we could have spent a lot of time. But that wouldn't be a bad thing to do. We, we, we used to, when the kids were younger, eat breakfast and try our best to have dinner together. Not only to pray for the day, but also share a scripture, and then at the end of the day to just kind of debrief and decompress and all the rest of that. That would be a good time to include that as a part of what you do for worship, for your family worship, okay? Let's move on to the second one, songs of thanksgiving. Man, uh, I don't care what Jonathan would have selected today, it all would have been something that I could have thanked God in but boy, Jonathan, you, you selected some great songs to lead us to that time of singing, singing. 
being grateful in song. You cannot read this passage of Scripture to realize, unless you realize that they were grateful and it came out in their singing, that overflowed in singing. And I'm sure they looked back, even though their beginning had been small, they had accomplished much. Even in Nehemiah, I don't know if you remember this looking back, but in chapter 4, verse 3, their enemies were, they were all around them. They were coming after them. Do you remember when Tobiah just cast dispersion on them? And they were rebuilding the wall. Now, it, it, granted, it, it was not as big as the, the wall before, okay, that was destroyed when they were carried away into captivity. And they were probably building out of just rubble broken and burnt stones. And so Tobiah, one of their enemies, in, in a moment of attacking them, said, Tobiah the Ammonite was standing beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. I, I just have a, a sneaking suspicion that some of those people remembered the words of Tobiah. Now, again, granted that the wall was not as big as the former wall, it was now, and this is in the next section, verses 31 through 39, it was now big enough, look at this, for two massive choirs to gather on. I, I, all week I've tried to visualize what that might have looked like. Then, this is Nehemiah, I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two great choirs, and I gave thanks. Now, earlier in the, the study of Nehemiah, we looked at, the, at Jerusalem, in the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. I don't know that you can fully see that, particularly from the back. You might turn around, it's on the screen in back of you. But that's where they started. Two massive choirs gathered together at the valley gate. So it was at least big enough for them to do that. And then they went in opposite directions. Now, again, I'm trying to visualize this. I don't know if they stopped and certain ones took up positions. The impression is that they all went in one direction or another. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, led by Ezra. So, did I skip that one? I guess I did. Okay. Um, and Nehemiah led the second group, the second choir, northward or clockwise. The key is that this was a spectacle, and it was something to behold. Some years back, I uh, went to a uh, conference called Promise Keepers. Some of you might have gone to that. This one it was, was in Kansas City, and it was held in Arrowhead Stadium, and they had all kinds of things going on before the, the singers and the speakers got up. But one of the things that I remembered, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, 
but it, it, was, it was really noisy, and the guys really got into it. One side of the stadium would shout out all in unison, We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And it would fall silent. And then the other side would respond, We love Jesus. And they would make it a little bit louder. And it was back and forth until there was an incredible uproar. I'm not so sure that they did it exactly like this, but I believe that the two choirs singing, playing their instruments, as they both went in opposite directions around the walls of Jerusalem. Maybe this is the slide. Yeah, they went. I had them switched. I'm so sorry. But here's the key. Both sets of choirs who gave thanks ultimately went to the house of God. That's where they were going. Because according to them, that's where God's presence was. And they wanted to go to meet with and to enjoy their great and glorious God there. Some of you know the answer to this. We talked about this in our ABF class today. What is the chief end and purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's loaded. But someone suggested years ago, what if that were changed? To glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And so the upshot of it was, they were not motivated to worship by the instruments that they used, as I said just a few moments ago. They were motivated by the glory of God. Another thing, they didn't appear, if you read this, they didn't appear to be bored because they were all engaged in the worship. And, strangely enough, they didn't appear to be fighting over the music. I, I don't see anything in here about one group wanting contemporary and the other group wanting traditional. I, you know, looking back again, I, it's just an interesting pilgrimage because I am old enough to remember, as I mentioned to you, growing up in a church, and it could have been there, but I just don't remember any of it. It wasn't until about when I got into college, late 60s, early 70s, and the music in the church that I went to began to, to, to change. And new instruments came in. One of the biggest changes that was made in that church, I'm sure, I, 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 don't, I, I would be surprised if it didn't happen here at Heritage, it was a huge change when they put drums on the platform. And it was either at University Baptist Church in Fayetteville or it could have been here. I, I, I need to get the story exactly straight, but it actually happened. You talk about worship wars, that the choir and the band would all rehearse on Wednesday nights. And then the 
the worship, the, the music guy would show up on Sunday morning and the drum set had been removed. And he started looking for it in the different pieces of the drum set, the trap set, were in different rooms within the building. Now, folks, that's worship wars. I, I, I am just, I'm so grateful. I, I'm not saying that we do not have our preferences and things like that, but I am so grateful that as I entered in today and as we sang our songs to the Lord, to the Lord I had no real sense of that happening whatsoever. This is one of my favorite psalms. It says this, then I will go to the altar of God. Where were they, where were they going? They weren't just marching around the walls to march around the walls, not having a holy hootenanny. They were going to the temple of God, to the altar of God. The psalmist says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I've been asking all this week, Marty, as you go into worship, as you have your quiet time on a daily basis, is God your exceeding joy? Is God your exceeding joy? And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. C.S. Lewis said this, um, and he was writing in his reflection on the Psalms, he had, a, he had a struggle with this. He had a struggle with the whole worship and how you get at that. And he came to a conclusion that I, I think is absolutely stunning. You can share this with, with others around you. I had not noticed, th- th- this is true, I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced and capacious minds praised most. While the cranks, the misfits, and the malcontents praised least. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. As I meditated on that this week, I said, oh God, give me a heart of praise so that I am letting my inner health be audible to you. Is he your exceeding joy? Let me just go back to this. I know, listen, folks, I know that there are times when you might come in and you don't really feel like worshiping. Anybody ever been there? Go, go ahead, you can confess it, because I've been there too. And that leads us to our third point from this passage of Scripture, verses 40 through verse 43. Wonderful passage of Scripture. They went through that, Psalm 137, 1 through 4. When they were in Babylon, it was tough to worship. Here's what it says, By the waters of Babylon, where we sat down and wept, we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres. They, they weren't worshiping, folks. For there our captor, captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth or joy, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And yet they have been brought out of that foreign land, delivered 
so they could look to the Lord and say, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, O Lord, my God. I will give thanks to you forever. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. I, I, I just wonder if, if there was someone who came in today so burdened down by whatever life is thrown at you, and you still worshiped. And I love what the writer of the Hebrews calls this. He calls this a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. Therefore, let him Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Now watch this, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And maybe, I've been in churches like this, maybe one of the reasons that people when they come in, they can't really bring themselves to worship the Lord. Maybe they're still stuck in Babylon. Maybe... Their mourning has not been turned into dancing and they have not been released to experience the joy. And that is the, the, the last part of verse 43 that I really want you to look at because it is a, it's a marvelous picture of what happened. They offered great sacrifices to that day and, and rejoiced. These were animal sacrifices, but I think New Testament, I think of the, the, the church of Jesus Christ offering the sacrifice of praise from lips that give thanks to His name. For God had made them rejoice with great joy over what He had done. The women and the children also rejoice. Now watch this. What was heard by the nations around them? You might say, well, that's easy. The the noise, the sound of their Singing. No, it doesn't say that. It says, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I think it was a week, maybe two weeks ago, one of the uh, people in our class was uh, sharing an an incident. This person was weighted down with, with concerns uh, things happening all around, as, as many of you are, and went to a funeral. And one of the songs, and I was thinking back, I don't know that I've ever heard this song sung at a, at a funeral. But she said one of the songs that was sung at a funeral was an old song called Praise the Lord sung by a group called the Imperials. Anybody remember that? And when she was sharing that, I thought, wow, I remember that song. And she said, as they sang that song at a funeral where there's grief and there are tears, she said as the words washed over her, she experienced Uh, a freshness of her own worship in the midst of her struggles. Listen to the words of the first verse. 
praise the Lord. When you're up against a struggle, I know some of you can hear Russ Taft singing right now. I'm not him, so I'm not going to sing it. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams, your hope's been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you. Serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. The last part of this study today seems almost anti-climatic. The support for the ministry of worship. That's right, it's in there. Talking about giving, talking about money again. Here's the upshot of it. They get to the temple, they're in the midst of revival, and the response that like everything was spontaneous was that everything be done, Paul says in the New Testament, decently and in order. So the people had given, they'd given free will offerings mentioned in chapter 10, and now they're given a structure. I'm not going to read all of this, but in verses 44 through 47, they're given a structure so that the ministry of worship is supported so that the revival can continue. Not very glamorous, it's just a part of real revival among the people of God. Yet, with all of that said, as we come to the close of verse 12, there's more to come. Let me share with you the dimensions of Nehemiah's wall. We talked about it, the two great choirs that got on it. I think they were kind of squeezed together because Nehemiah's wall was about, remember the picture, two and a half miles around, kind of shaped like a tadpole, two and a half miles around. It was 40 feet high, and it was about eight and a half feet thick. And I started thinking this week, there is going to come a day when this very holy city, that's what it was called in chapter 11, is going to be replaced by a new Jerusalem. Have you ever been someplace that was so massive, so big? I'm talking about a building that it took your breath away. I've been to some, some big places before, St. Peter's Basilica, but one that, and, and it's probably, a, it's bigger, it's got a higher ceiling than this place. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, but one that always is so stunning to me, I, I've been in it many, many times, is the Hagia Sophia 
in Istanbul, Turkey. And it's just as you walk up to it, it is just, it's massive in its dimensions. And you walk through these huge gates and the inside, I don't know that you can see, but those little dark spots on the floor, those are people. And they're overwhelmed by the massiveness and the magnificence of this structure. But folks, it is nothing compared to the new city of Jerusalem that someday is going to come down and be a part of us. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I just shared with you that Nehemiah's wall was two and a half miles around, 40 feet high, eight and a half feet wide. The new Jerusalem that is going to come down out of heaven is absolutely massive. Let me go back and see if I can get that picture. The picture is not there. But let me give you from the book of Revelation the dimensions of the holy city, New Jerusalem. Each side is 1,400 miles long. It's really like a cube. And if you look at a map, then you're going to see 1,400 miles is about Fargo, North Dakota, down to down to the, to the bottom, maybe Houston, then over to San Diego and up to Seattle, Washington. It's half of the continental United States, 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. But get this, the wall is 1,400 miles high. Talk about massive. It's 216 feet wide. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a room for you, trust me, there is going to be more than enough rooms for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. I, I, I was thinking about it, did some calculations. These things may not interest you, but they certainly interested me. The tallest structure, at least I think for the time being, it's not going to be after a while, but is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It's got 163 floors. The Empire State Building has 102 floors with these dimensions with a 10 to 15 foot ceiling. And you know what kind of room that would be? In the New Jerusalem, there are almost half a million floors. 
each floor having almost 2 million square feet. And by the way, unlike the Hagia Sophia, it's not a museum. It is a living, breathing reality. And if the joy of the celebration, the dedication of the wall of Nehemiah, the joy could be heard far, far away. And if our joy can be heard by those around us, I wonder what the joy of the celebration when the new Jerusalem comes is going to sound like. I hope you're there. You can't get there by good works. You can't get there by doing things that you think please other people or please God. The only way to get there is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I trust that you will be there as a part of that worship celebration. But until then, church, keep on worshiping. Father, I thank you for the, the truth, the reality that you have set down for us. I, I know, Lord, I, I confess readily that oh, this precious truth is delivered through stammering lips. But, Father, I pray that your truth would sink into our hearts, not the words of man. Those can be discarded, should be. But, Father, your truth, your word, and driven into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would do that. First, because this message has been to followers of Jesus Christ in our own hearts that we would renew our commitment to purify ourselves, to enter into a joy-filled, grateful worship in spite of what is going on around us, and to love you until the end when that new Jerusalem comes. And for those who could be here today, young or old, who have not yet savingly put their trust, their total trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation when they would see that they are sinners before a holy God and that Jesus has provided the way through his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection to new life. So thank you, Lord. Help us end as we started by worshiping you and continuing with that worship as we leave this place. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.